you're visiting with us, please take out of your sermon, uh, out of the bulletin, the sermon notes, and then also your, would you all turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. This is going to be our second to last study in our study on end times. If you're visiting with us, know that we've been looking at, we've been looking at end times and as we've been focusing on chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, so chapter 22 is where we're at, verses 6 to 21, these are the final words of Jesus. These are the final words of the Bible. These are words that are conversation between John, an angel, and Jesus, and Jesus gets the biggest chunk from verse 12 down to verse 20. Jesus is making an appeal. And he's wanting us to get an understanding that the end is coming. And you need to be ready for it. And obviously, because it's 2,000 years, it's something where you think to yourself, well, when's it ever going to come? But God wants everyone to be ready no matter what they face, no matter what part of life or world history they're in. And, and he wants you to make sure that you are saved. Look at verse 14. We said these are words of Jesus. They should be red-lettered if you have a red-letter Bible. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. And we know the only way you can do this is by faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus is God and man who, who died and paid the penalty for our sins. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual cleansing that takes place. And if you don't have that, you don't get to go on into eternity. And when you get to this point, eternity is set. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no opportunity to get yourself corrected. As one man said to me, Mike, I'm going to stand before God, and then I'll make the decision to believe in him. No, that's too late. Because the very next verse, verse 15, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. There's a finality to this. There is a separation. If this is what characterizes your life, and there's no repentance, and there's no change outside, you don't go into heaven. It's that clear. Jesus says in verse 16, I sent my angel to testify to these things. I'm the answer. We went through a long slideshow on how Jesus is the theological answer to solve everything. He is the answer that was promised, I believe, to David, then through the Abrahamic covenant. And so we went through verse 17 in our last study where the bride is being quoted, I believe, the church of Jesus Christ and the spirit are wanting Jesus to return. Come, come. And then the offer. And I believe this is intense by Jesus at the end of verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take a, the water of life without cost. In essence, come. The water of life, an expression that is heard for the very first time in the book of revelation chapter 7 and the fact that it is nothing you don't have to earn it's given to you but when you take it in it changes everything and and you can just imagine as jesus is coming to the end of the bible he wants people to understand the seriousness of this and he now says this one of the more famous verses in all the bible in the sense of dealing with bible truths but let's look at it in its context verse 18 I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, the book of Revelation, the book that was the last book written in the Bible, we believe, 95 AD. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. 
So there's great judgment if you change things with the book of Revelation. And if anyone takes away, verse 19 says, from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. And, and sometimes people think, well, wait a second, does this mean we can't, we can't have um, new revelation? That's correct. There's the sense where if someone all of a sudden starts saying, God spoke to me, you're adding to the book of Revelation. So it's, this does appeal to the book of Revelation, but it is something that brings about, the, I believe, the finality of Scripture. Scripture is closed with the book of Revelation. And this is given so that we understand that God's word is serious as well as God's word could be understood. Because if this was something that couldn't be understood, there wouldn't be any warning. And what God wants us to understand is the, is the nature of his word and how it can be understood. This morning, we're going to do something. I um, got back into this, thought, thinking I want to make this as simple as possible for you. Someone can please get the lights for me. You got this slideshow for you. We're going to take the next two weeks and we're going to close up our study on, we're going to close our study on end times by going through this slideshow. And you might want to take a few notes because, um, I, 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 because a lot of passages will be referenced, but I wanted to have you be able to see these and not have to get lost in turning your pages. So a lot of Bible verses are going to be mentioned. Um, we're going to take an application of this passage that we just looked at, and we're going to apply it to the 70 weeks of Daniel because the 70 weeks of Daniel, Daniel is the backbone of prophecy. And gives the structure to the book of Revelation. So when Daniel says, listen. I mean, when, when, when Jesus says at the end of Revelation, look, you can't add or take away. I want you to see this is a truth that is just really forced through the book of Revelation. And, it, and it's tied to the entire Bible. When we look at Daniel and how his prophecy ties to other scriptures, then ties to Revelation. It's clear that God's word is to be taken literally and seriously. You cannot add to it or take away from it. So I don't think it's in, this isn't like, uh, this is the shape of a backbone. <laughs> I was talking to Brian Haskins, and he and I were working on this this week, and he said that he has back problems, and this whole gives him creeps, all right? So, but I don't know, this is, this is a picture of backbone. So I wanted you to grasp this. The book of Daniel is driving the book of Revelation, and we'll see that as we go through this today. The purpose of the slideshow we're going to come back to this. <laughs> this is my incentive. Make sure you're here next week. And if you're not here, um, you can even you can ask me when I'm all said and done. I'll send you the slideshow um, through email. The purpose of the slideshow is to show you God's word can be understood for specific events. Literally, God's word will be fulfilled even if it takes time from Daniel through Revelation. God's word is not to be altered. Real simple. Real three po key points. Here is the passage we just studied. And... Jesus is speaking. I testify to everyone who hears the words. And the bold is my emphasis and the underline is my emphasis. The words of the prophecy of this book, the book of Revelation. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues which are written in this book. And so I truly believe today when you hear of people coming up with new revelation, new books of the Bible, they are under judgment. They are under severe judgment. Anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take a part of his his part from the tree of life i truly think that when you look at the book of revelation and we studied this a couple weeks ago 
where over 100 million people in the United States alone who call themselves Christian think that the book of Revelation isn't, doesn't have anything to do with end times. That's taking away from it. That's taking away from the clarity of this book. God will take apart his, his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Note, throughout this slideshow, bolded, underlined scripture is my emphasis. All right. To understand, again, how this all works, where we're going with end times, remember the covenants in God's word. Because when Jesus says at the end, you've got to understand, you can't take away or add to it. We're focusing on what God has said, his word. The covenants are the foundation for understanding why the tribulation is coming to Israel. Why we're dealing with the book of Revelation. God, said, God makes two types of covenants with man. If you've been attending this church by now, you should know there are only two types, unconditional and conditional. Covenants are agreements. An unconditional is that it, can be bro it will not be broken because only God is responsible. In scripture, there are, there are several examples of these. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Jeremiah covenant are all covenants that God made with Israel, with people that are unconditional. The only person responsible for making them happen is God. Conditional covenants can be broken. And the one that stands out, and we'll go into this in a second, is the mosaic. It can be broken because if man does not fulfill his side of the agreement, the penalties will come into play. So if God says, you know, you're going to enter into this, but you're going to accept the penalties if you fail. That is a conditional covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant was the one that we saw in Genesis chapter 12 where God promised Abraham land, seed, and blessing. You remember this slide from when we did the slideshow a couple weeks ago. The reason I gave this little picture here of a contract with only one X is because God is the only one signing it. God is the only one that is signing this. This is forever. Romans chapter 11. The, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Hence, Israel has an eternal future. We studied this. This is why in Revelation chapter 22, Israel has a key place in eternity. How the majority of Christians can say Israel does not have a future shows where they're at spiritually. Uh, it, Israel has to have a future. Otherwise, this makes no sense. All right? But the Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. The covenant let Israel into the land only if it obeyed while it waited for the Messiah to fix everything. It was the Ten Commandments, all 613 commandments. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, tells the people of Israel, will you accept this? They say, yes, we will accept this. So a lot of this is review for you, those of you who are here, okay? But this is the timeline. And this is, this is a great timeline for you to understand where world history has been and where it's going. There's dates on here, and, and you know, this could fit in with our creation conference, too, in the sense where we have Adam. Why do we say Adam goes to about 404, 4,000 years, um, 4,000 B.C., 4,004 B.C.? It's because the genealogies that are in the book of Genesis 
allow us to only go back that far. And it seems like, well, that must be when the earth was created. So that's why, you know, sometimes Christians get criticized for saying, oh, you think there's a young earth and you think there's only 6,000 years of human history. Well, what we see in the Bible is only 6,000 years of human history because we're right, we're right about here. And at the year 2000, there's only 6,000 years of human history. We know from the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve are created, mankind begins to rebel, then there, God sends this thing called the flood, and we date it around 2350 BC. It's around 2175 that we have the Tower of Babel. And again, this is review, where God looked at humanity and said, humanity, you want to, you want to live life without me? You want to have your own power? You want to worship um, your own God? I'm not going to let that go. It's going to send humanity into chaos. And so he scatters humanity at the Tower of Babel. About 200 years later, he, with all the people that are all scattered, he takes one man named Abraham. And he gave that Abrahamic covenant to him. He made a promise to him. Land, seed, and blessing. You're going to have these forever. I'm giving you these things forever. And it's through you that I am going to reach the world. Well, at this point, Abraham is one person. He's got his wife. He's got several other people with him, but he doesn't have any descendants from his relationship with Sarah. It's going to take time for this to build. He, he um, and the people will have to end up in Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, right around here, around 1500 BC, we believe, based upon writings and understanding of where the people of Israel are, is that they're anywhere from about a million to two million strong as a nation. And it's at this point that God gives Moses the power to get them out, and he gives them the law. And it's through the law, i.e. the Mosaic Covenant, which is conditional, that God says, I am going to set this up as we wait through human history to get here to the cross. Now you say, why didn't God just give us the cross right here? Well, because he's told us it's the perfect time in history. He knew it's his discernment, Galatians 4.4. He's using this timeline, we understand from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, to get people saved. And so we've got to trust in this. And as we watch this through, as God then gives, you know, has the great King David and says, David, you're going to have an heir on the throne forever, then we understand that that God is working throughout history to get his plan going. But remember, he gives Moses this, this, this law and says, okay, you can come into the land of Israel while we wait for the cross. Okay, everyone understand, this is like before eternity kicks in. Abraham, I'm giving you the land, the seed, and the blessing. It's all coming into eternity. But while we wait for the cross, I'm giving you this opportunity to be there temporarily. Are, are, are as long, conditionally, as long as you're good, you can stay there. Well, we know that from this time on, after David, things just go downhill. That Israel continues to sin and sin and sin and sin. And finally, God kicks them out of the land. He kicks them out in 722 and then in 605. And we'll talk more about that again. This is key right here in Babylon with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, 605 BC, I know it's hard to see. Israel gets kicked out of the land because they were disobedient to the Mosaic Covenant. 
But God knows that they're coming back eventually here. But for now, they are being punished. How does this all fit in with the book of Revelation? When Israel made the when Israel makes the agreement, yes, God will do everything that you wanted us to do. It's in the book of Leviticus that you get some of the rules. Remember, there are 613 commandments. The Ten Commandments are part of those. One of these is from Leviticus 25, and I'd ask that you would jot this down. You go back and you read this. I know the book of Leviticus is a harder book for people to grasp and understand, but I think this would be a real easy way for you to go in and get out. Leviticus 25 is a book uh, that, a uh, chapter in the book of um, Leviticus that makes it really simple. These were things that they were supposed to do. And God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. This is an excerpt from the book of Leviticus. So real simple. This is a rule. This isn't for one day out of the week. This is one year out of seven. You were to not have any crops grown. All right. Israel, this was a rule. And this is, again, from Revelation, when you understand that God's word could be understood. It was really simple, right? Don't have crops on the seventh year. And God goes through this chapter, and he talks about how they were to set up a reserve. Remember, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have grocery stores. They are given detailed plans on how to set up a reserve. But if they don't, as chapter 25 flows into 26... There are penalties for, disobe for disobedience of the conditional Mosaic Covenant. So listen to this. If you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all, all my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. And then there's a list of incredible punishments dealing with horrific things that will come with them. God was really incredibly serious. Here's a, I had a 16th or 17th century painting of a man being punished. I thought it was kind of humorous. Because okay. Israel's being punished because they violate the Mosaic Covenant. God uses the word covenant. You broke my covenant. They can't break the Abrahamic Covenant because God was the only one who was party to it. But this is the Mosaic Covenant. Here is one of the punishments in Leviticus and the reasons for it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you. As your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste, then the land will enjoy its Sabbath all the days of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land and the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbath. And here's fields in the Jezreel Valley in our day and age. Beautiful crop fields Israel had. They were supposed to... They were supposed to rest them for one year out of every seven. And so God is saying, not only if, about dealing with the Sabbath rule, but if they don't follow any of the, the rules, God is going to kick them out of the land. The temporary residence that they have, not eternity, but temporarily, because they, they were given a blessing of getting in early with the Mosaic Covenant. 
So, over 900 years from Moses in 1500 B.C. to Jeremiah in 620, this occurs. Israel sins continually through this time. You got, go through the book of Judges, the highs and lows. David comes along, gets things going really well. Solomon gets things going maybe even a little bit better. But after Solomon goes off the scene, it's boom, all downhill. And you read the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, parts where many of you read the Old Testament and you get lost. But this is what's happening. The sin causes the nation to split into the north and to the south in around 930. Some Bibles might have 931 B.C., but it's around this time. The nation continues to sin so bad uh, to sin, so God punishes the north in Israel in 722 and the south, Judah, in 605 by sending them out of the land. During this time, the entire north and south misses the Sabbath rest for the land 70 times. God keeps the count. There are no verses in the Bible that say we can add these up. All right? Here's a timeline of history of Israel's prophets from around 970 to around 450. So right here is where you have King David. Then Solomon comes in, you know, and, and after he dies, the kingdom splits because of just the people are just so sinful. They're not going to submit to the king. Things go really bad. And I know, for me, this was always something that got me confused. When you're talking about Israel, when it splits, the north is called Israel. So sometimes when you're calling the ten tribes Israel, you are referring to the, this split here. But sometimes when you talk about Israel, you're talking about the entire nation, all twelve tribes. So I hope that I can even keep that clear when I communicate it to you. Israel splits, the northern ten tribes get Elijah... Uh, um, Elisha, Jonah, Amos, Hosea. Hey, get your act together. Get your act together. If you don't get your act together, the Assyrians are coming. The Assyrians are coming. Guess what? They never get their act together. 722 BC. Boom. Assyria comes in. You never hear from these tribes again. Down south, Obadiah, Joel, Isaiah, Micah. They're all saying, hey, you better get your act together. You better get your act together. And Jeremiah is coming on right at the end here. And he says, guess what? The Babylonians are coming. And this is around 605 B.C. They're going to be set into exile, but God will let them come back so that we can get ready for Jesus. All right? So that's the big chronology. And you say, well, how does it again deal with Revelation? Well, stay with me. Jeremiah warns Judah in about 620 B.C. that God will use Babylon to punish him. In Jeremiah, God warns Judah about their coming punishment. The exile started in 605 and is completed by 586. The book of Daniel um, has Daniel taken captive in the first captivity. Because the Babylonian captivity gets uh, take half, occurs by three attacks. 605, 597, and 586 B.C. Daniel is taken captive in 605 B.C. Jeremiah 25 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words, okay, my words, i.e., the Mosaic covenant, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a whore and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. So God is saying, I am going to bring about this judgment, okay? And it's everlasting because, in, not in the sense of eternity, but in the sense of the fact of what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to these people, all right? 
and we'll see that as we go forward. In summary, Israel disobeyed the law, and God punished the nation. So God used the Assyria to kick the ten tribes of Israel, called Israel, out of the promised land. And you can read about that in 2 Kings. 2 Kings describes it. It's one of the most sad narratives in all the Bible. You should know this. 2 Kings chapter 17. And then God used the nation Babylon to kick the remaining two tribes out of the land in 2 Kings 25, 605 B.C. God sets up a horrible punishment for the entire nation due to its violating the Mosaic Covenant. Daniel 9, Jeremiah 30. All right, and here you guys remember this picture from the stocks. So after Babylon captures Judah, God offers insight into the length of the punishment. Now this is where it starts tying back in to Daniel and then into Revelation. After Judah is sent into captivity, God's word gives this verse. And this is like the, like the end of the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, remember, is telling the story of, of the kings of Judah. And, and so those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, right? Jeremiah talked about that. We're sending Babylon. We're sending Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be my agents to punish you. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. The people of Israel had to stay in exile through, the, through um, we're going to see, in 70 years to fill, fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbath. And all the days of its desolation it kept until its 70 years were complete. And you're like, if, you're, if you're a detailed study a student of the word, you say, wait a second. There's no verse, there's no telling me that the people missed the Sabbath. This is like blowing on the scene for the very first time. But this is where we get it, that during the 1500 year, from 1500 B.C. to 600 B.C., Israel missed 70 of these Sabbaths from honoring them. And God is angry. So here we get this for the first time, 70 years. The prophet Jeremiah also tells us that Judah will be in exile now for this 70 years. The whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's a literal 70 years. Daniel, Revelation, when it says you can't add, you can't take away, it's because the word of God can be understood. It, it's not symbolic. It's not esoteric. It, it, it's a literal 70 years. When Israel is told this. This is the year around 620 B.C. 620 B.C. Jeremiah is writing. You're going to be in captivity 70 years. Jeremiah offers this hope in the very next verse. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, meaning you're going to be in exile, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. God takes the number 70 literal. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, he's going to bring this punishment, but you only are going to be in captivity for 70 years. All right? Here is a verse that many of you should get down. It's the very next verse because this is the verse that gets put on posters and it's misused and obviously drives me up a wall. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you. Who? The nation of Israel declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Because even though I'm bringing that devastation on you, I made an Abrahamic covenant and I will be faithful to you. That's what that verse is all about. I know the plans that I have for you. 
So God says, don't worry. Even though I'm punishing you as a nation, I have plans for you. So how in the world most people could say Israel's done and Israel doesn't have a future? It boggles the mind. And, you, and if you don't take the Bible literally, then all of a sudden you start thinking that the Bible, when you get to the book of Revelation, is just a symbolic book. But if we realize it's not symbolic, then it impacts us for how we live our lives today. All right. Fast forward to the year 538 B.C. Remember, Jeremiah gave his prophecy. It's 620. It's about 80-some years after. Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah while he's in captivity. And the 70 years are almost up. Remember, Daniel, we believe, was about 15 years old when he was taken captive. 605 B.C. He's 15 when he's taken captive. We believe he's around 85 years old. Daniel is wondering how Judah is going to get back into the land. In the, so if, this is from the passage that we read for our scripture reading. Daniel chapter 9. This is the beginning of the chapter. In the first year of Darius the son of Asuerus of meeting the sent, who was made king over the, uh, over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book in the number of years. Stop. In the first year of Darius the son of Asuerus, Archaeologists have been able to pinpoint this. It's the year 538. I mean, God is wonderful that he's allowed us to have these benchmarks. And so that we're not just like speculating. Secularists would understand this is the year 538. So we know Daniel's been in captivity 68 years. And if you were in captivity and you were wondering, when is God going to get us out? How is God going to get us out? Because it doesn't look like there's any way for us to get out. He said in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to come home. But I don't see it because we're still slaves here in the, in the land of, 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 of Babylon, which now the Persians are controlling. So I, Daniel, observed in the number of years which was revealed in the word of God to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of J Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Here's a great lesson for all of you. Daniel has gotten the Bible. He's gotten the book of Jeremiah. It's only 80 years old, but he's reading it, and he looks at it, and it says that passage that we read earlier from Jeremiah, you're only going to be in captivity for 70 years. And he says, guess what? It's not like it means nothing. It means literally 70 years. So therefore, I'm expecting us to go home. I know this is really simple, but when again I tell you that the majority of people think that the book of Revelation has nothing to do with end times, it, it's mind-boggling. Uh, you got to remember that. So Daniel is reading this, and he says, I believe it's 70 years. How am I going to get home? I'm 84, and I want to go home. I want to go home. I believe it's 70 years. So Daniel reads Jeremiah, and he confesses the sins of the people, which would include Israel not obeying the Sabbath years for the crops. God sends the angel Gabriel, you know, the Gabriel that we see in the New Testament. He appears to him as a man, and Gabriel says this, Oh, Daniel, I have come now forth to give you insight with understanding. And here's a painting of an angel thought to be Gabriel. Not a real painting. Uh, not, not a real picture. Um, we'll talk about angels when we come back from 
Resurrection Sunday. We're going to get into that next. But um, here's what's interesting, and here's the twist. Instead of telling Daniel how Judah is getting back to the land in two years, Gabriel gives God's plan for the ages. God uses the number 70 again as God goes beyond the temporary return to how the permanent return will take place. 70 weeks, and literally, this is where the English sometimes we struggle. The word weeks here in, in Hebrew should, be, should have been translated in your Bibles, weeks of weeks. And it was in a Jewish expression for groups of seven-year period, not weeks of days. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to bring, make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's key, everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Judah does return to the land in two years, by the way. So that does happen. But Daniel's such a righteous man. God says, I'm going to tell you how the entire plan is going to work out. And I'm going to use it based upon that number 70 that they violated the, the, the Sabbath, the Sabbath plants, uh, planning process. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince... Messiah, it's one of the few times in the Old Testament it's literally used. The anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. The prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. What will be built again? Jerusalem will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Which it was. The, the book of Nehemiah, we'll talk about that. Verse 26, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. What you have to understand is that you have just read God's blueprint from the ages. God has told them, I can tell you the very day that Jesus is coming in for the triumphal entry. If you've missed that, we'll, we'll pick up on it next week, because next week is Palm Sunday. But God has told them to the very day, to the very day that the Messiah will come in. This is why I want you to understand these things are literal. 70 years, 70, 70 times 70 for weeks and weeks. All of these are things that you can count on. Its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. What God here is saying is that you're going to deal with punishment up to the end, Israel. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and a grain offering. Who? The prince who is to come. Satan. Satan's man. The Antichrist. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction, and one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Meaning he will be killed. Okay? So, I don't know. The Messiah is going to be cut off, have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. The Romans came in 70 AD, and this is why we know the Antichrist has to be Roman. He, the prince who's going to come, not the Messiah, will make a firm covenant, a peace treaty, for one week, one seven-year period. It's this seven-year period, we're going to go into the details next week, that we're going to deal with the fact that this becomes the backbone of prophecy. It gives us the timeline that takes us to Jesus, then to eternity. This is the key point. It gives us the timeline, the backbone of prophecy. In this timeline, we get these highlights. It tells us when Messiah will come the first time, and he'll be cut off. It gives us the six benefits in verse 24 that sin is ended. 
sin is atoned, and everlasting righteousness is brought in. It tells us how long the final time period will last. This is why we know the book of Revelation, its key elements, is seven years long. It also tells us there's a final coming punishment, a tribulation, and why the Israel is the focus, not the church. The 70 weeks, the expression is not weeks of days, but literally weeks of weeks, which was an expression for seven-year period. Some refer to this as weeks of years. Weeks of weeks refers to groups of seven-year periods. There are 70 of these because Israel missed 70 Sabbath years for rotating crops. 70 times 7 equals 490 years. This is where we're stopping, right here, okay? What you need to understand, the timeline that Daniel gives us, all right? Daniel is told there's going to be, Israel is put 70 years of exile into Babylon. Daniel is reading in the year of Cyrus, when he's ruling and reigning, in the year 538. Hey, when are we going home? God says, I'm going to tell you not about when you're going home, but I'm going to tell you when eternity's coming. And I'm going to tell you my plan. I'm going to set up a, a, a 490-year plan, 70 weeks of weeks. And it's all going to start with the, with the decree to rebuild the temple. We know that this decree comes in 445 BC. Next week, we're going to go through the calculation that takes you from this day, the 69 weeks are 483 years, right to the very day of the triumphal entry. I thought, how ironic. We're going to be studying that next week. We have the cross. And then there's a break off. And what you have is we're waiting for the final 70th week. And it all kicks off when the Antichrist makes a seven-year covenant with the Jews. Turn the lights. Turn back to your Bibles. And I want you to understand this. Look. When Jesus is coming to the end, I can't think of him as being... You know, he's given the invitation. He's talked about, he's played, I said, he's played the God card. But the one thing he knows that people are going to be left with is God's word. And more than anything, he wants you to understand this Bible could be understood. It could, it, it, it could, it should be taken where the literal makes sense to seek no other sense. And if he says there's going to be a seal judgment, a trumpet judgment, a bowl judgment, if he talks about one-fourth of the world being killed with the seal judgments, one-third of the world being killed with the trumpet judgments. Almost everyone left being killed with the bowl judgments. Believe it and live your life accordingly. If he says in verse 14, those who wash their robes have the right to the tree of life. When we explain that, we say this means that, that the only way to get to heaven is by faith. We understand through Jesus Christ. Then you better live your life accordingly. That's my hope and my plea for every one of us. And for us as believers to say to ourselves, wait a second. You know, if God is this intricate with the word of God and he is, you know, so serious that when he says, I want crops to be rotated every seventh year, you don't do it. There's going to be a penalty. And when he brings in the penalty, then I learn from that and says, when he says there's going to be a coming a real hell, then I want to believe that too, let alone coming judgment. Please live your life accordingly. And as believers, let's live our lives in light of this. Let's remember the end is coming. So this is why we tell people, and this is why we believe. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and giving us the plan of the ages. And I'm hoping that as people contemplate it and think about the, the, the numbers, and I know they can be complicated, Father, but your word is clear. And you're, you have given the backbone of prophecy. And I'm hoping that all here today would understand how you're working everything towards its end. As we look at chaos in our streets today, and we wonder where our country is going forward, may we know there's a coming chaos that's going to be even far greater. But one man is going to come on the scene and he's going to bring peace to the world. And that's going to be part of the judgment. He's going to sign a peace treaty that the world is finally going to say peace and safety, peace and safety. And Father, I pray that our, uh, the, for my congregation here that as they think about that expression in this week and as it comes clear all the more next week when we watch that video on peace and safety, that there's just a thought that the only answer isn't in a political leader in America or in the world. It's until Jesus returns. May we be passionate to live for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen.